Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is another thoughtful Thursday. How do you like that? I'm always trying to think of ways to introduce each one of our interviews. But as always, I am really honored that you are dedicating the most valuable non-renewable resource that you have to tune in here to Suncast. Thank you for giving me your time for yet another fantastic foray into the world of renewable energy, solar energy, and how these businesses are built and careers are made. Today's entrepreneur and intrapreneur is Trish Kozart, Program Manager for the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center at the National Renewable Energy Lab in Golden, Colorado. Now, Trish has been recommended by several people, but I really want to say thank you to the Antenna Group for helping make this interview happen and helping keep us on path to get it out to you in the world. I'm really excited about the content of this interview today because Trish and I really dig into how the National Renewable Energy Lab, through its Innovation Entrepreneurship Center is helping to spur entrepreneurship, support what you all are trying to bring into the world, both from funding as well as a much broader network, far beyond just the dollars that go into the companies that come through the cohorts in her organization within NREL. I found this conversation with Trish really insightful. It's always great to talk with someone who has an entrepreneurial bent, but is working within a larger organization to help serve the entrepreneur community. Trish, thank you so much for this. And hey, Solar Warriors, if you love this episode and this kind of content, well, you're going to really enjoy the more than 300 founder stories and startup advice that we have at mysuncast.com. And I would encourage you to go check that website out where you can also go to forward slash SPI 2020 and see all of the amazing coverage that we have of this year's seven weeks long microconference for the Solar Power International Virtual Trade Show and Conference. In fact, right now, today, this week, Wednesday and Thursday, we're in the middle of the SPI Virtual Trade Show. And of course, I hope that you'll tune in to our weekly roundup. But that's not why you're here right now with me in your earbuds. So let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, here we go. Today, we are going to spend some time digging into what it takes to bring technology to market. And few people in the clean energy space have spent as much time thinking about it as today's guest, Trish Kozart. She's the group manager for NREL, which is the National Renewable Energy Laboratory here in the United States, and the, specifically the group manager for the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center, which is an externally focused center at the lab with a mission to build a clean tech ecosystem to empower market solutions that transform communities around the world. Trish, welcome to Suncast. Thanks. It's great to be here, Nico. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, thanks so much to our friends at Antenna who helped make the connection. Love uh, anytime I can have experts from NREL 
on this show. We've been uh, we've spent some time uh, with your peers in uh, in the the solar prize portion or area of uh, of Vinrel, and really looking forward to digging into what's happening at the IEC, the Innovation Entrepreneurship Center. And we're definitely going to talk about how sort of the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center kind of sits at the nexus of NREL laboratories and the marketplace and the leadership that you've established there from a technology commercialization perspective. But, but I guess before we jump into that, I want to hear a bit more about Trish, what particularly positioned you to work in the world of entrepreneurship, helping entrepreneurs kind of navigate their way. How did entrepreneurship come into your life? And then how did you find your way into the clean energy environment broadly? Yeah, that is a great question and uh, one I'm happy to answer. I I think our journeys in life all start from somewhere. And mine really started with a science background. I went to school and I really loved environmental science, got a zoology degree, um, decided I wanted to couple that with communications, got a master's degree in, in technical communications, and really was looking for places where I could go uh, help um, bridge the gap between the science and and the and the rest of the world really that was the business side of the world at the same time uh, my husband's an entrepreneur I have an entrepreneurial spirit we started two businesses along the way uh, and I have had a big heart for startups so somewhere along my journey I ended up at NREL happy I did I've been there for about 10 years and both that experience as an entrepreneur myself as well as the experiences I've had working in application development and deployment at NREL has really um, set me up in a great place to bring that experience to the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center, where I am the group manager, but I also manage the Wells Fargo Innovation Incubator Program there, which is a technology incubator. Yeah, and it's a technology incubator that has gotten a lot of uh, a lot of interest. It's also spawned some other fun programs that you guys are working on that we'll talk about for sure here. One of the things that I find fascinating is that you, as a zoology major, uh, didn't go off and get a a job working in uh, a museum or working uh, at a zoo. You, in fact, dove headlong into the World Wide Web of the 90s. How does that experience in being an early user experience uh, designer or user experience professional uh, when the internet was really uh, trying to figure out what do we do with all this data and how do we communicate? How does that inform the way that you think about the communication requirements and, and sort of the, the effort with regards to the companies that you are helping bring their products to life? Well, I think user experience, um, I was, you're right, uh, working at the dawn of when all of that was happening. And user experience is really uh, no different than customer discovery. But entrepreneurs need to do is understand their market and understand their customers. And a lot of the same uh, tools and work that you do in in, uh, user experience studies for the internet or for applications is the same kind of work you do when you go out and find what customers want in market discovery for a business. So it translates pretty well. I'd like to unpack that a little. Can you give me an example of a tool that one might, I believe in this whole world of uh, what we call idea sex. So if you might use a tool for user discovery, for, um, for, for usability around the UX of a software, how might an entrepreneur model that in customer or market discovery? I think it's all about the way you approach 
interviews of, of people that you don't to bias them with what you're trying to get at. I think with, let's take an application, for example. If I'm designing a computer application, sometimes people make the mistake of getting one of their users on the phone and showing them the application and saying, this is what it does, how do you like it? And what happens is people start rearranging buttons on the screen, when that's really not what you need at all. What you really want to understand is, will they ever actually use it? What do they do now? So you never start with showing them the application ever. You always start with asking, how do you run your business? What do you do? How do you do it? What do you need? Where do you go? And gaining that understanding of where the gaps are, what they actually need, and then you as the designer design it to fulfill that need. You can user test all you want later on buttons, but that's not the key. Yeah, uh, I love that gap analysis interview. And oftentimes that comes even when a product is in its wireframe stage, right? You've got this idea, you're thinking about it, but what you really want to know is where do we lean in? Well, all of your time at NREL has, as you've uh, said to me before, has been spent on how to get clean energy to market. And the bulk of, of that is around standing up and uh, managing this innovation and entrepreneurship center. How did the entrepreneurship center come about? Tell me a bit more about your role in standing it up and its role within the NREL ecosystem. Well, I'm actually not responsible for standing up the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center. I came into that about two years ago after working at NREL in application development, and it was already stood up by our great center director, um, Richard Adams, who had been working on various pieces at NREL related to getting um, private and public funding partners together and leveraging the capabilities of NREL. So that's the beginnings of starting that, that center there. The Innovation Entrepreneurship Center is unique at the lab. It it sits actually even off-site of the lab campus purposely because we want to be external. We want to focus on the market and people. We don't um, necessarily want people to have to go through all the security protocols to get into the lab to come visit us because we really want to be out there shaking hands and learning about the ecosystem and the market. So we actually sit outside the walls of the lab, um, both figuratively and literally. And and we help bridge that gap between the market, as you as you alluded to before, and the lab research. So innovations are great; um, they're wonderful. We want new innovations and technologies and clean energy to come about, but they do no good sitting in a lab and, and on a shelf. They only do good if they're in the hands of entrepreneurs, startups, or people who can actually put them to work in the world. One of the flagship, I'll say, products within many areas that the Entrepreneurship Center is focused is this program with the Wells Fargo Foundation. That was a $30 million program and uh, it was designed. Well, why don't you explain what it was designed for and how long it's been running and the, and the relative success of that program so far? Yeah, happy to. I love talking about it. The Wells Fargo Innovation Incubator, or lovingly, we call it IN2. You're right, it's a $30 million program, soon to be a $50 million program, uh, funded by the Wells Fargo Foundation, administered out of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory with our team in the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center. What it does identify and supports promising clean tech startups with this goal of commercializing them, um, getting them to market to achieve those social, economic, climate benefits that are urgently required in today's world. So that's our goal. We started in 2014, and we have 46 companies in the portfolio as of today. 
Any uh, early success stories that are notable? All of our companies are success stories in my in my book right now. Uh, 100% of them are still thriving and moving on, which I think in the startup world is an amazing statistic to even quote. Uh, startups often fail. So far, so good. We haven't had a single one of the ones chosen for the IN2 program fail to date. We have startups that started out with prototypes that are now um, delivering products to market. So we have we have several of those in all sorts of different areas, energy storage, building automation systems. We've had six of our companies be acquired or have mergers occur, which are great exits. And we often measure how well our companies are doing based upon the amount of investment they've received, because our goal, you know, is to de-risk them for investment. Hardware technologies are so difficult, they have a longer cycle to get to market than, say, a software does. And so they're not as easily investable. Investors don't always look at them as something they want to get in with until they've proven themselves. So that's the gap we stand in. What's the application process look like then? You've got 42 startups. How many have applied and how how does one sort of check the boxes to get into IN2 as one example of a program that you run? Yeah, so this is how basically the whole program works. We have a network of channel partners, we call them. Uh, They are incubators, accelerators, and universities across the country that work in clean tech. There are partners, uh, there are ears, eyes, and boots on the ground that know what the companies are doing out there in the space. And when we're ready to have a call for a cohort, we'll reach out to them for referrals to our program. So it's a referral only. Um, It's not an open invitation for anybody. So you have to know us or know one of our partners to be referred to the program. Once we have that, we go through a pretty rigorous down selection process that includes our researchers, the Wells Fargo board, as well as an independent industry board that we have, our external board, who actually picks the final five companies that get into the cohort. Is it possible for someone, let's say a har- uh, an energy storage hardware startup, to find out who those channel partners are such that they could in some way be responsible for their own success, right? And, and work their way into the system? Oh, absolutely. And they can always call us and we we sometimes get those calls and try to match make up with people who can refer or it's it's a fairly close knit ecosystem anyway. And they'll likely know one of our partners. Uh, That list is on our website on i2ecosystem.com. All of our partners are listed there. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity. You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you wanna do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Hey, have you been looking for a clever way to get on Suncast? Well, here's your chance. We've got a new segment called Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG Solar, and it's a part of the all-new microconference experience at North America Smart Energy Week 2020. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. You can register with our discount code to get 15% off. You can share your takeaways for a chance to win fun prizes and follow along. And as I said, you never know, you might even end up on one of the segments, but you got to participate 
to win. Hope you'll join us. MySuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. See you there. Have you been searching for that perfect role that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level? Might I invite you to check out LightSource BP? That's right. The global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world. From strategy around the world to action locally, you can be inspired and be the change by joining LightSource BP. By choosing a career at LightSource BP, you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low carbon energy projects. Learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers. Well, we've talked a bit about what it is at a structural level and even how to get in, but what is it these 46 uh, companies have received from uh, the Wells Fargo uh, IN2 program? Right. Well, what we offer each company is a $250,000 grant. It's philanthropic funding, so it's non-dilutive, which is great, a great thing for a startup. And what they get for that $250,000 is technical assistance at the lab. About 200000 of that goes for paying for the technical assistance, the researchers at the lab, and 50000 of that goes as cash to the company to support that project that they're doing at the lab. And what's important to note about the money is uh, it's it's worth far more than $250,000. If someone wrote a startup a check for $250,000 and said, here, use it for your business, that isn't in any way comparable to what we are actually delivering. I don't know that that's always understood at the get-go when an entrepreneur enters, but they definitely understand it when they leave. And that's because what they're really getting is think about it as adding a world-class expert to your team for a short time and being able to take your technology, whatever it is, and bring it into a lab worth uh, multi-million dollars paid for by the Department of Energy to be able to use that kind of equipment with that kind of brain power, even if it's for 12 or 18 months, is a huge lift to a company worth well more than $250,000. And and that's just the start of it. Um, the IN2 program as a whole wraps a startup around with a big hug. I always think of it as a big hug because what we do is we have not only our industry board, uh, the Wells Fargo board, all of the other people in the ecosystem like the incubators and accelerators that we know are all paying attention now to those companies and what they're doing because we um, are talking about what they're doing and they're watching them. Our investment investor board from the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center is looking closely at these companies as they go through. So they get a lot of play, a lot of airtime. Um, so that's helpful for them too. And then we find it as our job as program managers to help make connections for these companies. If they're you know, need manufacturing or they're trying to do a demonstration project with somebody, we look for opportunities to connect them. So they're they're getting much more than just $250,000. When they come out, I would hope that this this investment is worth, you know, millions to them in the end. Yeah, I can imagine the case often where companies who get accepted into IN2, they've probably applied to a bunch of other incubators, probably applied to grants and other programs. 
they're running a business and they can in many ways just tick the box and say, yep, we just got another grant. We're part of this, uh, this program. We're going to send this project to NREL and lose sight of the access that you get. And for those who are unfamiliar, if you check out IN, the number two, ecosystem.com, you'll see the website for the IN2 partnership. I don't want to go too far into the rabbit hole of like all the details that are, are engaged in there, but IN, the number two, ecosystem.com gives you a better scope of exactly what IN2 is about the number of companies that are participating as incubators. If you click on the channel partners, you'll see a huge list of channel partners there, which we were just discussing. I was surprised uh, pleasantly to see the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill right here in uh, my own backyard in, in the Durham area. Where else do you see the early stage entrepreneurs or even startups get caught up or held back in that on that road to commercialization? I think having been an entrepreneur, I think some of the lessons I've learned and, and what I've seen, a, a couple things. One is collaboration. Um, it is very important to take collaboration seriously and look for ways that you can find places like the IN2 program or, or any other collaborator, if you will, whether it be an investor or an industry partner, to not be afraid to give away your idea or give away a piece of the business um, that you're far better together than you are alone. And, you know, I've watched Shark Tank a lot. Um, I'm always amazed by how people aren't willing to give up their little idea, their pot of gold, what they think the future is going to be worth millions. And their idea just isn't that good. It's, it's only good when you have a market and when you have a partner. They're just uh, sometimes very foolish about giving up that chance to collaborate. And, and so I would say to entrepreneurs, don't keep an ego. Don't get caught thinking that what you have there, you're protecting so tightly that you can't go work with others. What other partners or programs are you working on within the IEC outside of IN2? Shell is one of them. Shell actually came to us after they saw the IN2 program having such great success and um, thought that they could incorporate that as part of their Shell Game Changer Accelerator. So we have something called the Shell Game Changer Accelerator powered by NREL, also called GCXN. And it's a multi-million dollar, multi-year program developed in collaboration with them. And the idea of that one, again, is to advance emerging clean technologies with the potential to really dramatically alter the future of the global energy landscape and where Shell is going with that. So we use the exact same model we use for the IN2 program to run um, cohorts of companies through under themes that Shell is really in energy themes that they're interested in. What's an example of a theme? They've done some uh, work with perovskites in solar. They've done work in um, fast charging. Well, it sounds like this is getting traction in the marketplace. Not only that, but it's getting an attention in the marketplace. So if, if I'm a foundation or a corporate, how would I connect to NREL to do the same thing that Wells Fargo and Shell did? Yeah, uh, we can definitely build solutions and models for anybody who's looking for innovations. You can become part of the IN2 program, even uh, leveraging what the foundation is giving to help support the program and come in and have your own cohort under a theme of technology that NREL can support in an area that you'd really like to grow or look for innovations in. Or, you know, like Shell, you could come in and um, 
we can help you design your own technology incubation program. So lots of different ways to connect and lots of different ways to form solutions to help innovations to market for, for anybody looking to do that. Very cool. And if I heard you correctly, it sounds like the IN2 Wells Fargo partnership uh, has been uh, grown by another 20 million. You mentioned 50 million. So I'm putting two and two together there. So somebody can jump in and take advantage of this extra 20 million uh, boot and uh, grow their own cohort, which I think sounds like a pretty cool idea. I'm fascinated by uh, this notion of kind of what Shell did saying, hey, we've already got this initiative internally. It's an accelerator. How can we partner with a national lab to give it an extra oomph, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's well understood globally, the intensity and the success uh, had around, especially around clean energy at the U.S. national lab uh, system. You've seen a lot of tech come through the IN2 program and some of the other programs that you've developed. What's really got you excited right now about the new tech that's emerging? Yeah, I think what's top of mind right now is just energy storage because we have all this distributed energy that we're producing with solar and wind. It's becoming less expensive. It's, it's an important energy question is where are we going to store that? during times when we don't need it and then so we can reuse it. And I think we have several companies, even in IN2, that have come through in energy storage that are quite exciting. One of our very first cohorts had a company called Energy Storage Systems or ESS. They're now out in the market doing great things. Uh, we also have a company that came in in, I think, our fourth cohort, Yada Energy, which has storage right underneath solar panels on rooftops. Wow. Very exciting. There's different ways to crack this, the energy storage nut, you know, um, software, everything. And it's going to take everybody and ev all these solutions, these innovations to really make the whole system work. Well, Trish, I know there's a ton of uh, entrepreneurs listening right now that are excited about IN2. Some probably knew about it. Others are just finding out. Where can they dig in? What resources or links would you give for them to be able to take the next action? Yeah, well, you can always go to nrel.gov and find um, the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center on there and learn more about our programs, including the Industry Growth Forum, which comes up every spring, which is mm. an opportunity to apply and to pitch and also get feedback. Even if you don't get to pitch and you apply, you get feedback from investors on your application. It's just part of the program. Great place to start. You could also look up the in2ecosystem.com and learn more about IN2 or even the Shell Game Changer programs are great places to look. Of course, we'll link to all of those on our show notes page, as we always do. Trisha, as we bring this one home, I want to bring it back to you personally as an entrepreneur who, despite being group manager, have a track record in building business and thinking as an entrepreneur. Is there any particular book that perhaps has shaped your leadership style or the way that you approach business that you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I devour business books. I love them all. But I would say probably one in particular that I really love is uh, Kurt Wright's Breaking the Rules. It's an interesting book that really, I don't even remember what all the book is about, but there's always a nugget in a book that you can pull out. And the nugget that has stuck with me for a very long time um, is that there are certain questions we can ask, a framework around questions we can ask, whether it's building a team to come up with solutions, whether it's doing sales, whether it's networking with somebody. Some people are appreciative inquiry, but those questions are really uh, five questions. I believe it's what's right, what makes it right, uh, what would be ideally right, what's not quite right yet, and what resources can I find to make it right? And I find if you use that framework, you don't have to sit with 
pose the questions exactly like that. But if you use that framework in talking with almost anybody, you come out with really great results. All right, Trish, let's send it home uh, and end today with what we call the bold prediction. Looking into your crystal ball, where do you see the clean energy future headed? Wow, I think there's a lot of trends that we're seeing in the clean energy world. And I think where I see the next step, the next place we need to go is really the system. We're no longer doing individual projects that are just energy storage or the grid or any other one piece. They are all connected. And a lot of the work we're doing at NREL is connecting all of those pieces where a company might have come before to us to work on a car battery uh, and, and work on something like that. They now come to us asking for, how does that battery hook into a charger? How does that charger hook into the building? How does the building hook into the grid? It's now way more of a systems thinking world, as well as waste, that circular economy, that if we're going to design something at the beginning, how do we then bring it all the way around so that we don't waste all the materials when we come back? So I think those are the, that's the future of clean energy, and those are the big questions we're solving right now. Trish Cozart is Group Manager for National Renewable Energy Lab's Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center. It has been such a joy to spend time with you today, Trish, and I look forward to having you back. Great. Thanks. Hey, Trish, I want to say thank you so much on behalf of the solar warriors that listen to Suncast every week for the valuable information you just shared with us. If you, Solar Warrior, loved everything that Trish and I discussed about how the National Renewable Energy Lab is supporting your ability to grow as an entrepreneur, then I would encourage you to reach out to Trish and tell her thank you. I've posted a link on LinkedIn tagging her all about this episode, so you can just look for that under my LinkedIn post. And if you're eager to keep learning, well then, of course, you, my fellow Philomath, can find more resources and highlights from the discussion that Trish and I just had, as well as all of the discussions on Suncast over at mysuncast.com. We link to the social media links, the book recommendations, and so much more. And hey, while you're there, I would love it if you would take a couple of minutes to give us your feedback in our listener survey. This is how we are able to keep tabs on what you are interested in. How are you learning through Suncast and how can we take that learning deeper? How else can we serve you? What topics do you want to hear? I hope that you'll take some time and give us your feedback at mysuncast.com. And hey, I hope you'll also tune in next week as we'll bring you another Tactical Tuesday and Thought Leadership Thursday diving into how you can grow in your career as an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, and an overall contributor to the energy transition. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.